Welcome to this hour's collection. I'm Michael Coleman, and I am so excited to be uh, rejoining with two old friends. Every time I come back to one of the films, uh, this you know your team has been working on. I I expect big things. Your movies, I feel like, are incredibly dynamic. And when I found out that you guys were working on Fast and the Furious Nine, I felt that the franchise obviously has always been you know in good hands when it comes to you know the directors and the composers and the sound team. Frankie and John, thank you guys so much for uh, for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It's a blast. So for both of you, you've had um, a long history, I guess, of being involved with this franchise. I guess for you, John, you've been involved with since number five and Frank since number four. What, how do you describe that relationship? What is it like to be part of the Fast and the Furious family? Um, it's tight knit, really. We really. There's a shorthand over the years um, that we're able to build. There's a camaraderie. It's, it, it's almost an extension of the movie. It's all about family and and just a recent text from Justin was appreciating JT and I and uh, being, as being part of the family. So, What about for you, John? You know, it's, uh, it's interesting because I think the Fast and Furious series, it um, has a, a realness to it that Justin expects. I'm just going from, like, from Fast Five and uh, Justin trying to, trying to hone in what he needs. And there's a, there's a, a reality that he expects in the films. How far you go from that is always kind of a moving target. You know, only he really knows, but he's got his finger on the pulse. So it's tracking him. That first film, uh, Five, for me, was uh, just sort of tracking him to see how far you can go with things because uh, it was it was really, it was interesting. And he told me too, when when he interviewed me for the job, he told me, he goes, you know, there's going to be a, a mark that you've got, you've got to hit as you know, between reality and what's, you know, just exciting and over the top. So I love about the franchise. That's something that um listening to an interview with him, you know, it's it's always this the idea of one upping what you did previously. And after looking at what he did, you know, in 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 six, I was like, I don't know where else you go. And obviously they found more space in space. We actually went to space and it was just I, I find that um, you know, these films are exciting and they bring the audiences because there's a certain aspect of just it, it it lives in a world of reality, but then there's also this kind of like, right? How is this possible? I, like, I, was, I like the characters say, "How are we not dead yet?" So, what right. for you guys? How do you describe the tone of realism and for us. yeah, <laughs> the, the world of realism and like hyper realism Hollywood action film? Well, it, it kind of you know there there's a track record, and and I think. Uh, as I recant the, the story before we even started on on nine, we always kind of, you know, as an inside joke, when are we going to go to space? <laughs> you know, what's next? Space, those kind of things. Like we've done everything else. And uh, we had an early draft of the script and sure enough, it was in there. So we, we, we did have a little, you know, inclination that, that we'd end up there. Um, but as far as the the overall sound of of what's happening with the movies and the kind of one the action pictorially is one up and then we we follow suit they're just all different um and then like JT was saying as far as the edit, the picture editorial there's those respites that we get to make things dynamic or big full sounding without getting too worn out when wearing down the audience. 
But you know, it's funny um, when people talk to me about Fast and Furious, they always see the same thing. They say, I can't not watch that. I go, well, what do you mean? Is it, you know, the acting really gets you? And they say, no, it's just the crazy stunts. I can't wait to see what they do next. You know, that's everybody says that whether they're 20 years old or 70 years old. It's kind of amazing what a huge audience just wants to see somebody fly across the freeway and catch their girlfriend. It's kind of amazing. So um, when, you know, you guys were first, when they reconnect with you and say, hey, guess what? We're doing another one. What, um, where do you guys start? Uh, obviously, you're given, um, imagine a script, but how do you like to work with Justin? Where is his ear going? Yeah, how do you guys just start with the first process of spotting a film like this? They all vary a little bit. Um, we'll go and watch it. Um, we'll have some kind of preliminary contact, but we'll, we, our, our first look is their rough cut. That's when we kind of get an idea of really what's happening, um, either in the cutting room or, or on the stage, uh, prior to, to any temp, any preview that's coming up. Um, so that's, that's our first look. And for you guys, um, you know, uh, you know, composer Brian Tyler has been involved with this franchise too for a long time, and he carries a lot of uh the 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 soundtrack or just just when i say soundtrack i mean just like what we're what the audience is hearing there's a rhythm there's a pacing um there's you know a a large task on his end how how do you guys even decide who takes lead or or just the you know what editorial how their paces how how does everyone cross pollinate and and not get in the way of one another or get in the way and and do something you know unique you know that's a great question because um Sometimes it doesn't, you can't really see on picture where the breaks are going to be. In other words, where music's going to take over for a little bit or where the effects are, whatever the case is. The one thing we know for sure is if there's dialogue, we're going to hear it. That's a, that's a given, right? The other given is what phrasing Brian's actually writing in and what kind of melody he has going. So hearing the melody is, or, or keeping track of the melody, I think is super important. When it's percussion, you're always going to hear the percussion. You'll always hear the beats. So that's kind of, uh, you know, indicative of what's what's going to play at that moment. Uh, but the trade-offs, and if you really pay attention to the film, that's super subtle sometimes. I mean, very, very, very subtle, depending on what Brian's writing and also what the action is on, on you know, on the camera at that point uh, and how long we've been in that action. Sometimes it's kind of a hit it and quit it where Frankie may go in, or Frankie, or music doesn't matter, but you may go in hard and then actually just to make a presence and then sort of come down immediately and let the other, um, let the, the, what am I trying to say? The other, uh, you know, effects or dialogue or music or whatever it is take over um, quickly. So it's, it tells you as you go, we don't, it's usually we're not sitting there scratching our head. It pretty much is, is kind of obvious how much room uh, one or the other takes. That'll, that'll be something that will, we maybe get a first pass on and then go back and then we're tweaking, tweaking, tweaking uh, and just, you know, getting until we get that right feeling till it hits us both. Basically it's like, Oh yeah, there we go. That's good. How wide is um, like, what are Brian's deliverables to you? What is he handing you on this one? Uh, this was a little bit different because the mock-up was totally split. It was from the very beginning from the first temp dub, uh, which was, you know, a few months before we even or a couple months before we started uh, pre-dubbing. He would give me 60 stereo pairs, let's say, 60 to 80 stereo pairs, so I can have a lot of 
um, motion. You know, I can actually really push, pull, I mean, all sorts of direction with it. But for the temp tub, you don't have a lot of time to do that sort of thing. So it's kind of you just place it and go and uh, deal with it later. But it was pretty much the final music for the film. And then before he got into the before we started pre-dubbing, he actually went and recorded, I think it was Air Studios. Uh, they recorded the strings, the horns, and the orc perks. So after temp dubbing, before we got into final, received those new tracks. And then um, the Greg uh, Hayden took a pass at it, his scoring mixer, took a pass at it, and then gave it to me with those same track, the same uh, stereo tracks, and the new 5.1s. And then I had a chance to go through the score, usually about a reel a day, something like that. This one may not have been as much time. I think I probably was about six hours a reel to pre-dub the music. So lots of, he really makes sure that we, that there's no excuse. Let's put it that way. It's like, Hey, why doesn't this music sound great? And there's no excuse. It's like, you had it all. You got everything you ever asked for, make it perfect. Yeah, he's, and that's what, yeah. that is the goal. He's a very talented composer in the sense that he's multi-instrumentalist. He just has his hand in every aspect and you hear that in the in the soundtrack and you know the yeah. the, the yeah. detailed aspect of these mixes really are incredible i feel like it's in of itself it's a master class and dynamics of understanding dialogue first yes we need to understand what everyone's saying but then it's really a feeling and i'm sure for you frankie like uh, what what have you taken away from mixing fast and the furious films because we don't, I, you never get tired of a, a car rev or a tire skid. Like these are all the things the audience is leaning into and feeling, and it, it helps get them, you know, in that, in that, in that driver's seat. So yeah. What, what have you found with mixing these films? That's maybe a little different than other, other soundtracks. Well, because you know, the, the franchise has been around as long as it has. Um, and the DNA is actually car race, car race. So that's the DNA of it really. Um, so what we try to do really is is keep it as dynamic as possible keep it emotion emotionally interesting musically so we want to hear all of those threads going together all that movement and then it allows us to really kind of you know open up the dynamics dynamic panning movement subharmonic start you know really kind of moving and grooving and trading off but but the dna really is you know the car racing, which then lends itself to mid-range. So we really have the impacts, guns, metal, crashing, glass, all those things are, are, are um, you know, could be hurtful and, you know, kind of wear you out, wearing on your, on your ear. So we just kind of manage that material the best we can, either pitch it down, compression, you know, limiting equalization, all that stuff kinds of come to play and just getting in and out of things as, as quick as possible, tell the story sonically and then, and then move, move on and make sure that we're clear. And we, we always have the little, little respite that all those action have a respite kind of dispersed throughout the sequence. And it's more about communication. Where are the good guys? Where are the bad guys? Turn left, turn right, all those things. So we, we call it, you know, just get me to Mia who is always, or, or someone like her, who is giving instructions and overseeing the, the battlefield, if you will. So we always, you know, have these little, little goals, get me to Mia, we get the rest, then we come back. So we just mix for the demographic. This demographic of these films are, you know, 
14 to, to 30 years old, plus or minus a little bit. And, uh, you know, they want to move, they want to groove, they want to bump, they want to, you know, it's high octane, pictorially, so sonically, we follow all that. But we're, we're very aware of, of of hurting, kind of turning people away from it. We want to want them to embrace it and be in it because part of that story is be in the frame, not watching the frame of film. You want to be in it and that gives you the excitement and the, um, you know, and that's our goal really. That's great. Yeah. So here's a real question. Are either of you car guys, the quintessential car guy who, who knows every sound, every gear shifter, like who, because, we all know that someone's going to raise their finger and be like, no, 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 that's not right. So how, how, how deep do you guys get yourselves? Well, that's, that's Peter. That's Peter's okay. job right there. I mean, I had a 93 uh, Mazda, a Mazda RX-7 third gen, uh, about 510 horsepower for a 2,400-pound car, uh, which was the fastest ride you've ever been in. But as far as, you know, the reality, Peter's the one who tracks all that stuff. And this is uh, Peter Brown, who's the, you know, supervising sound editor. So, so and, and you guys have, uh, he started on um, Fast and Furious 3. And so he's been, uh, he's probably one of the oldest folks. He's been around the longest in terms of being involved right. with this franchise. Well, so where are his, his ears? How does he kind of guide everyone? Because I'm sure he has his own kind of level of uh, scrutiny. No, Universal has given him everything needed to be successful. So there's always uh, enough in the budget uh, to go out and record. So every film gets a very, you know, specific set of vehicles. They go out, they've gone to Hawaii, they've gone to location, gone down to California City uh, and done a lot of recording. Um, so all that stuff is authentic. Let it be the car or the make of the car or the power plant of the specific, whether it be a tuner or a muscle car, or whatever it is, he gets it. Now, of course, they're augmented, uh, you know, because they have to be bigger than life. But the DNA of it, the base elements are, are, are mainly the real deal. That's great. And Paul Alessino, who works with him, uh, who works with Peter, was also, he's been on all of them and one. Yeah, he wasn't on two, I think. But he was yeah, definitely on all, one. The longest, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's the glutton for punishment. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty incredible just to see how long this franchise and the story and these characters have been part of, of um, you know, the, the, the storyline. When we follow, it reminded me of something when, you know, when Han came back up. Oh, sorry, the spoiler, by the way. Han comes back. I think he's in the trailer, so it's not a complete giveaway. But, um yeah, it's just you forget how uh, how long these characters have been together. Um, does that does that have the same kind of um, sense when it comes to sounds? Is there a sound for Dom's car, or are there returning sounds that come up? That's the that is the one thing going back a little bit talking about Brian because he did nail the score on this. Uh, I know he and uh, Justin spent a lot of time together on this, but it's it's a very dynamic score and all the little bit uh there's little tiny musical moments that do link back to fast five or even fast four um that he does thread throughout and it just it is a little bit reminiscent you know and it makes you kind of think about the whole series and how long you've been watching it for you know 20 years i think or how many years has that been now uh, 20 2001 i think <laughs> that's incredible yeah yeah. 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 
we are just young pups. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, I think it speaks greatly to um, that you guys definitely understand um, the heart of of the film when it comes to you know what you're providing because not everyone I think can can show up and mix action films and walk away with um, having the audience not say oh it, this is it's too loud it's too abrasive it doesn't you know that's that's when we kind of cringe we say ah oh, our idea is to be in the background and and to make you fall in like you're saying Frankie of you know of just being a part of the the experience um so when do you guys know when it is how, where where is the ceiling when do we know when it's too loud or not even when it's too loud or too big or like how big is too big for Justin even you know i'll just say that it does it definitely starts at the beginning when you're talking about turning a film from loud which can hurt to just big you know what really just when you say immersive i mean that lowing coming at you just really makes you feel like wow this is there's something huge happening but both frankie and i from pre-dub so when i'm going through just the dialogue on its own i'm constantly thinking about sharpness always so you know when people are speaking they're normally speaking from their chest but when they're speaking loudly, there it goes up into their throat. And so there's way more loud, harsher frequencies that have to get ripped out, ripped out, ripped out. But to get through the car, to get through the music, the dialogue has to be electronically, it has to be very, very, very big. Um, and the goal is not let anything ever hurt on its own, for sure. And then once we put it all together, then we're still going through. Frankie and I's first pass is going through saying, okay, this hurts. This is too much. This is too much. This is too much. This is too much. And then if there's anything, you know, anything big, it's like, don't be scared. You know, let's go all the way with it. So I don't know as how many notes has Justin given us as far as too loud? Um, I, I think we benefit from as many playbacks as we can get. You know, we can play it for ourselves as many times as possible. There's a benefit to that. Um, which we, you know, were able to do on this one as well. And then on this particular one, you know, we were left to our own devices in a way. So rather than managing as far as the filmmaker's component, Justin and the picture editors, instead of managing 20 minutes at a time, they were kind of seeing the temp and they were seeing the final mix in, in broad stroke and in, in kind of like the whole film. So it was a little different than we've, you know, the exposure was a little different than we've had in the past where you can really kind of hone in and really kind of pick things out with our experience with them was beneficial. So we we're able to mix the film, play it back from, as I recall, JT was from the, from our temp. We had very minimal thoughts for the temp. And then when we got into final mix. Uh, we did the same thing. We have ample time. We really exercise, you know, everything we could. Um, in the storytelling side, the dynamic side, the immersive component, um, clarity. Um, and then when we played the movie back, it was really just, we were kind of chasing visual effects at that point. Because music, music was, you know, we had the music early. So everybody was, there was no new music in a new the scene, none of those rhythms. Rare for music to be early, right? Yeah, it really is rare. But, you know, he's so good. Brian Tyler's so good at, you know, everything he does in his home studio that he was, you know, had the time 
and worked with Justin and was able to knock it out. I mean, really did a fantastic job. And I think that was something that um, we were talking about before we started recording, which was that the timeline of this, you guys started early 2020, quarantine, lockdown happened, and obviously you guys had to pivot. So um, what was the start stopping of this production? When did when did it start and how, how, did, it, yeah, how did it progress then over the next year? It was, uh, yeah, we, I believe our first temp was the beginning of January, 2020. Um, and then we, uh, it went well, and then we did a couple quick changes and actually did attempt two, uh, and actually previewed that. And that's, uh, that's rare, but I, they had the time. So they did that. And then we went right in right after attempt two, we went right into two pre-dubs. Um, and that was in the beginning or yeah, the, towards the beginning of March. Um, and then we were about a week shy of finishing our pre-dubs when, um, things took a change in the world. And, uh, we were, we had to leave the stage on March 23rd, which was that Friday mm. that most people had to leave. Yeah. For. So when, when did you re-engage with the project? Oh, geez. When we come back, um, <laughs> just all <laughs> <ran> together. <laughs> no <laughs> clue. Just one long weekend for, yeah. Uh, we came back, I don't know what it was, five, six months later or something like that. Yeah, you know, it seems like we started talking about it again in July Okay, uh, somehow. It's, inc- um, it's, it's, it's incredible to hear because everyone, um, you know, over the past year who's either had stuff in production or, you know, stuff that was trying to get into production and how they've navigated it working remotely and, and also mixing it remotely or, you know, not having um, maybe all the creative team or all the, everyone together in one place. And I find that it really... It's been an interesting experience for everyone just because it has allowed people to kind of trust the team, the individuals, every, all the components of, of the filmmaking process. And uh, I, I mean, I feel like in this sense, you guys, like I'm sure Justin had a lot of faith in, go, you're fine, like go do what you need to do. But was Justin able to re-connect re, um, with you guys in person and be present then? Yeah, we, we got back to business as, as usual to some degree. Uh, come in for playback. So they're, you know, they're doing, they're, they're doing visual effects, DI, et cetera, right next door to us. So it's coming, coming and going in and out. Um, but I just found it interesting that they, it was a little fish out of water because there just wasn't a lot of notes. You know, <laughs> we played back a two hour, two hours and 20 minutes or so film that runs the gamut um, and sonically. And there was just, you know, it's like, head scratcher like we normally would have a lot more thoughts but um i don't know how long that'll last but on this one it it was a one-off that's amazing great you know that same sense it's 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 kind of amazing first of all the picture assistants uh we're so on top of everything along with uh the guy who works with us on our team bill meadows uh their communication is so tight that we always know we have the right picture so i mean Sometimes you'll go along and you'll say, ah, this seems a little weird. And we'll double check it. And it's like, oh, there's something wrong with the picture or whatever the case was. Uh, we didn't we didn't run into any of that. Um, it would be, you know, songs because songs are, uh, especially when you go past a year and the, the songs always have to be fresh. So that's always the thing, making sure we got the right songs. We didn't have any problems with that. Paul Rabjohns has been on the last few also. Joel Asante, who works with uh, Brian Tyler. Uh, was there the whole time. I just call him quickly and if there were a question, but everybody came ready to go. I mean, it was definitely vetted by the time it got to the stage to to finish. 
Mm. Um, it took a lot of people to make sure it was right. That's awesome. Well, you know, going back to um, one of the scenes that I wanted to have you guys kind of describe, which is this one, this Tarzan swing of Dom going down the hill. Somehow, magically, a cable is connected to his car. And before we know it, they're in the air swinging across the border. Um, I, I like it because it, it goes from um, very big to quiet. new and there's always a moment where the passenger's like no 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 and in this case it was letty when tom driving and and um he hits it hits the nos which is another signature for the film and you know the cable they hit the post and the cable comes free and it locks to the front right rear or uh, tire or rim and they get this Tarzan swing as it's been described, but we just kept the energy going. So it's just kind of an inertia wind kind of movement sound that kind of just drives it. Music drops out. It's kind of really, you know, just isolated with them. And you kind of all hear your own heart pumping. And then, you know, they hit the side of the, 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 you know, mountain and bounce up and come in rolling to a stop and they get out of harm's way and the helicopters turn away. Um, really the biggest challenge was at the very end while they're sitting, the glass in the car is coming <laughs> little bits at a time. And they kept adding one here and one there it was just kind of, it's the only thing in the highlight when he's talking and we have this glass drops from, from the mayhem and the debris. Um, but yeah, we just, we just kept it just one piece. No, no, no intercutting, just, uh, kept the inertia going. The the Letty line in there, I, th I thought was the funniest line in the film where she looks at him. She goes, well, that was new. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just crack. Every laughed every single time. Um, something else that this film does, uh, like a lot of action films, is, is fight scenes. And there's uh, incredible fight scenes in this film. And I feel like I, I really enjoy just like whatever combination of sounds, um, you know, Peter and his team is doing to give it the grittiness and 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 the weight that they do. I mean, there's this wonderful scene with, um, between Dom and, and his brother, um, fighting. And, and I just find that there's really two really just large men, but yet like, it still feels very dangerous. Otto, sending you new pickup location. <laughs> Oh, 
it's great because the material, the building material was great. You know, we have, we have glass wood and we have concrete pillars that are being punched through. So that in itself gives us leeway to make it, you know, incredibly fun. Um, a lot of movement crashing through walls and whatnot. So, uh, they're big guys. Um, we want to keep the weight all the way from their, their Foley, keep them, keep them weighty and then just keep everything kind of on the thicker side. So exaggerate it kind of just, you know, again, detail oriented, very dynamic, uh, try to cover all those frequencies, especially the low, low end stuff. Um, and just kind of, you know, dance around with the music and, and their grunting makes a big, you know, big efforts are also important. The drive of the music is important. So it all comes together. You know, those, those scenes are super tough. I mean, they really are tough because you want to make them sound real. You want to believe those big, huge punches, you know, are that way, They're all the scene. And so there has to be a little bit of a organic tissue in, involved sometimes, you know, and uh, the production, they do a great job with the production, uh, even though that's, you know, they sometimes you have to augment their grunts and stuff like that. And of course, everything else is augmented. But having that little bit of real movement um, helps helps a lot. And uh, they do a great job miking those. Uh, one of the other wonderful scenes, which is uh, there's an element of this magnetic, these big magnets um, that are now strapped to the side of, you know, or of these guys' cars and they're driving around. How did you guys come up with orchestrating the right feel for these? Because the introduction of it earlier in the film, it's kind of singular, like there's guns being whipped like across this, the screen and like it's very small, but then when we get later on in the car sequence, we're talking about dragging cars around. tonal you know just by by you know what they are so you know that that kind of gets lost so there has to be some fluctuation sonically that, to be able to kind of cut through you know because we're telling a story so it has to cut through um all the other material um so sometimes you see them sometimes you don't um and we it was seasoned to taste actually michael there was just a lot of material uh, and I, it was what was working for that particular scene and a lot of, uh, addition by subtraction in there, you know, just ignite it, get out, let the other things play, then come back. And, and then if in the last reel, they also repelled. So not, not only did they, you know, magnetically bring you to them, they also repelled away from them. Um, so they all had a different flavor in each vehicle, um, all the way into the, the space sequence. 
uh, where they, they go awry up there. Um, but they're all just a bunch of material, just kind of season to taste through that sequence and what worked and what didn't work, we, we got rid of. So there was no, there was a concept in which we were kind of flying, flying with and, and Peter just had a bunch of great sounds. When it comes to those um, those race scenes in the streets and whatnot, how do you guys deal with your surrounds? How do you like to play pers- um, play up not perspectives, but just create space um, for everything to get movement happening? Because uh, I heard it in Dolby Atmos, um, and I, I felt like I never felt like I, it's hard to track. I feel like you could always track pers- um, where vehicles were going or are going. Um, yeah, how, how do you like to use your surrounds? How do you like to use your overheads? Um, you, you know, it's just part of the dynamic panning. So you want to be able to track things, uh, story-wise and, and move them through the array and then have fun with it. So, you know, the object panning is, is really kind of, you know, the most interesting part for us to a degree, um, having full range surrounds are, are hugely important in a movie like this, um, to be able to move things and not lose the low frequency. Um, you know, base management and so on. Um, so it's just kind of a lot of pre and post things before you see it and after you see it, have stuff move around. And then and then the picture kind of leads us, effects-wise, it leads us, you know, to, to telling that story as well. One of the most, um, unex- one of the most unexpected, but one of the, uh, I think, positive aspects of immersive mixing is that we're now given music, I feel like, a little more space than just, the uh the lcr or maybe just you know pulling some of the room or the verb into the back well john what have you found mixing music and especially in this film how do you treat your tracks and and, how, and when do you pull stuff farther and higher um from the front screen well that's really you know helping with that the previous answer is that it's not when you it's when you don't right because you have to you have to reserve otherwise you'll never be able to get that pop so you get the pop and then you have to go back down and reserve but you don't ever want anybody to feel that they're not getting their, you know, $20 worth basically. Um, but because I, again, going back to how wide it is, first of all, I never have to use reverb. I never have to use any tricks. I actually, you know, it gets not fully surrounded because you still basically have the kit, you know, sort of up front, but everything else is moving. So there's, if you sit and really listen to it, you'll hear all the different pieces of the music moving the whole time. So everything has movement to it. There's nothing other than the kit um, that stays in one spot. Even with the horns and the strings, they're always separated spatially. They never play together. Um, but I, to me, that's one way to be able to keep the music tracked under the scenes, you know, the, the busier effect scenes. You track them by, it's like, boom, by, you know, and always in rhythm. So everything moves in rhythm so you don't get thrown out of a rhythm because all of these scenes and all of these films have a rhythm that's built in and you have to be able to support that. If you take a scene and you've got music, you know, that's hitting the cuts and everything, but yet internally your music is out of rhythm with itself, you may not be able to like notice it, but you'll feel it for sure. Guaranteed. It's like I've, I remember one time I was watching a, a film and somebody was doing something similar to the way I do it, but I could tell it wasn't, it wasn't hitting right. You know, like the drum beat should always be right there every time, regardless of the hi-hat that's connected and the hi-hat may be traveling or whatever the case is. But he'll have, you know, 40 different sounds, 50 different sounds that, um, 
you, you could just put it all up and let it sit and it'd play great. But I think moving it around, just you don't totally notice it actually, but you definitely have clarity because of it. Yeah, I'd be curious um, to, you know, if we were to go back before immersive, these immersive formats were around of what we were susceptible, what, what we were okay with, with a 5-1 or a 7-1 or, you know, even uh, just even a fold down of a stereo. How do you think this has gotten easier or not not even easier? How has it become, I don't know what the right word is. It's not better. Yeah. It's actually more, I mean, I started, I remember in 2002, I was, I won't say the film, but I was on a film that the film was actually uh, boring and the music was really good. And the composer who was awesome came in, boom, here you go. A ton of stereo pairs back in those days, back in that day. And I really had a lot of, uh, you know, I took advantage of the time I had and gave it a ton of movement and uh, it made the film better so on those films that can handle that of course you couldn't do it in a you know a dialogue or you know a sweet film or whatever uh, even comedies you just don't want it to call too much to itself but in action films man it is perfect to do that but given the more speakers given the more opportunity and we've seen it many a times where you know the point one was invented and all of a sudden brrr, just everything has you know subwoofer all over the place and then you know you get the surrounds and generally you just fill them up you know once the audience uh is is ready for it basically because that's what it is there's reality and then there's film reality and you can't film reality does not like to live in reality you know what i'm saying you have to do what the audience is ready ready for because 10 years ago if you put that much information in the surrounds people would look around and like oh, what is this or you know if you took you know every time you try to take sound completely out um, people look around and say, well, I think something broke, you know, and you're getting away with it more these days. They're, they're used to, you know, they're used to seeing that sort of dynamic. It's a slow education. Word. Yep. Yeah, well, yeah. It, it beats uh, two track optical. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I don't know. I don't Depends know what, yeah. Yeah. That, that, that of itself is, yeah, it's, it's my favorite is the, uh, the mono plugin, which is an earplug. You just put an earplug in and you, you have mono all of a sudden, which is, it's a good April Fool's uh, meme. Um, uh, any favorite scenes, any, any moments that you stood out that un unexpected sonic opportunities that you guys thought really, you know, was, was were, were working well? For me, I really like the Han introduction when he comes back and then he, you know, they're inquisitive. Where have you been? And we track that story and it's, it's a flashback real time. And then, you know, coming in at flashbacks and we're introducing a new character and and it's really sweet sounding. You know, there's rains and thunders and they're married to, you know, they're, they tie into the music and just movements and airs and just real subtle things it, in, in, in an immersive format. It just was a lot of fun. It's it's on the quieter side, subtle, but uh, I thought it was really, came, came out well. For me, it was the uh, the last time we go to space. And uh, the music is very subtle, very sweet. It's quiet. You hear a little, little bit of the uh, the rocket, um, and it goes into you know the magnet sort of freezing, not being able to function. And then he says it goes through this the speech that um, that uh, Roman gives, which I thought was really, really well done. It gets you. It's emotional buildup, 
and they decided to slam it. And so they're going to, they're going to ram the satellite. They're going to run through it with their Fiero and all the sound in there. I just thought was fantastic. Again, we're talking about, you know, what's film reality versus reality, because in reality, you shouldn't hear any of that, but in film reality, it was just a really nice rolled off, not too loud. I thought it was just perfect for, for this film. I thought it worked so, so, so well. It, it, uh, put gave me goosebumps yeah i definitely was looking at the, the single pane windows i'm like i don't know what the pressure is anymore on these cars but <laughs> amazing really amazing it's really fun How polymer, what is it polymer coating right <laughs> yeah that's right they said they set it up in the story i mean as you know it was totally justified totally get it yeah we'll just see what kind of feedback we get from the fiero club of california they're very proud, I'm sure, knowing that their cars are totally equipped for for space travel. Um, who else from your from your team do you want to acknowledge? There, there's so many folks who are ha, have had their hand on this project. Yeah, who else do you want to shout out to? I, I would. I personally, beyond what we already did for me, it was uh, Rachel Levy, who works Rachel Levy and Mike Noblock, uh, who are the head of the music department at Universal. Uh, they work so hard just to get the perfect songs in these films. And there's a lot of them. There's a lot of cues, a lot of, a lot of big artists and it takes them, uh, gosh, in this case, I mean, tracking it, you know, over the year, or year and a half, whatever it was, uh, was hard. So I got a shout out to them for sure. You know, we just have so much support at the studio and, and, uh, facility wise. So, uh, Bill Meadows, of course, or mixed tech did a great job. Um, we, we use two stages as we pre-mix and prep. So D's across the street, helping out, helping John with the dialogue. So his contribution is important as well. And then, and then the one that keeps us all in check, Kirsten Smith, who, who runs it all for us, uh, did a great job on, on just keeping us clean. Yeah, it's great that, I mean, for a film like this that falls under the universal banner that it can be mixed at universal, on the universal stages and, and incorporate uh, this team, hopefully, you know, that that's been a part of it as long as they have, because it just, like we said, the consistency and the expectation of what fans are returning to. We want something different. We want something bigger, but we always want to come back to um, there's some special magic that you guys are putting on this that, you know, is unique. There's not any I was trying to think of any other f car franchise that has been so prolific. And I don't know what you could compare it to for so many. But, yeah, it's an incredible journey you guys have been on. Yeah, you know, but Dominic Toretto says it, family, you know, that's what it's all about, the film and, and actually what Justin has really, Justin and the other directors too, that are, what they've really brought, uh, you know, to this franchise. It's important. And Shane Hayes did dialogue and uh, Gigi did uh, ADR, Glenn and Gramala. So they were a busy crew and that's the same team that was, we've been on a few films with them, right? They did the last one also. I think it's the same crew. Yeah. Peter's Peter's always been on since, gosh, I think he was. He's, 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 the, he's the anchor. Yeah, he's really is the anchor. He's the hardest working, <laughs> working cat in, in show business for sure. <laughs> I would I would love to see some of those sessions to see how much goes into them. It must just be so. They're, they're, they're a head scratcher. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, I'll tell you that the truth, I mean, because they take so long and our, our expectations are so high, we never leave the console. Uh, we'll take turns under headphones also. So, you know, like I said, our first pass, we're listening to our pre-dubs kind of straight through with the, with the music 
sort of roughed in and we're taking notes on things that we can, you know, clean up. For me, it's like, I'll go through and say, okay, I could fix this. I get this better, get this better, whatever the case is. And while Frankie's doing a four hour pass, I can go under headphones and I can tweak things under headphones. And then when Frankie's done, then I'll make a pass and I can, if I have to tweak him up on the, you know, big speakers, I will. But we take more than time than we're given basically because we work under headphones too. I don't know if anybody else is doing that, but we've been doing that for 10 years now. Frankie and John, thank you guys both so much for your time. It's so great to reconnect with you guys and to hear about this, the Fast 9, the Fast Saga. And um, I can't wait to see what's next. I can't imagine they're going to slow down. I have, they, they, at the end of these films, they set it up. They, we know there's another one that they're, they're dangling for us as an audience. So I'm excited to see what, what's going to happen next. So I have a feeling you might be involved. Who knows? Yep. I mean, listen, little B needs to make a life for himself. So he's got another 30 years. <laughs> little B's going to take it home, man. This episode. The fast, <laughs> yeah. the fast children are going to take over the mantle and get, get it well beyond our tenure. Oh, my God. Well, thank you guys both. It was, it was a lot of fun talking with you. All right. Good to see you again, Michael. Michael.